This is the Hope Church Mill Creek Podcast, and you're hearing the voice of lead pastor Josh Westmoreland. Hope Church Mill Creek is a church replant in the Hope Church family based out of Danville, Virginia. Our church specifically is in Roxboro, North Carolina, just about an hour north of Durham. Our family of Hope Churches has a total of 13 locations at this time along the Virginia-North Carolina border, mostly in smaller rural communities. Our uh, specific location has existed officially since January 22, when my family and I moved from Mississippi to lead this plant. We hope you enjoy this podcast and bring something away from it that helps you. If you do, it would help us greatly if you left a good review on Apple Podcasts or you just, you know, shared it. We wish you all the best, uh, grace and peace to all of you, and happy listening. All right, so how about let's do this. Let's go to the Bible. Go to the Bible. Um, here's what we're going to do. Um, here in a moment, we're going to read the Scripture. I'm going to do quite a bit of introduction. Then we're going to go back to the Scripture, and we're going to do the meat of the message. John chapter number 11. I should, probably should have told you that's where we're going. John chapter number 11. All right, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and read John chapter 11, and we'll start in verse number 28. Are you there? No. John 11, verse number 28. 28. All right, you're there now? All right. When she had said this, we're kind of jumping in mid-story, by the way. Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus has died. Okay, everybody got that? Mary, Martha, brother Lazarus, what's happened to him? He did. 28. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. What's this sister's name? Mary. Mary, saying in private, the teacher, who do you think the teacher is? capitalized teacher here is Jesus, and He is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to Him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, still in the place where Martha had met Him earlier, a little bit outside. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, they saw her rise up quickly to go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here! What did she say to Him? My brother would not have what? Died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was, what's the words? Deeply moved in His spirit. And He was greatly troubled. 34, and He said, where are you laid him? They said to Him, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse in the Bible, if you've never seen it before, is this one right here, John eleven thirty-five. 35. Jesus what? Well, I have opinions on this, by the way, and I think they're educated as far as what the Bible says. I don't think it was just grief, the reason Jesus was weeping. Because Jesus knew He was about to raise this man to life. I think there are other reasons, but so on and so forth. So the Jews said, oh, see how He loved him. But some said, you can hear him murmuring, could not 
He who opened the eyes of this blind man also have kept this man from doing what? I mean, that does make sense, does it not? How many of us have wanted Jesus to expedite things? Let's get things done, Jesus. God, I've prayed to You. God, I've talked to You. I have this allotted time. Get it done. And then He did not do it in that time. How many of us have experienced that before? How many of us have felt honestly frustrated with God? Okay? Human, hu human problem. Verse number 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, it was a cave, and what is laying against it? A stone. Jesus said, do what? Take away the stone. Now, I want you to picture this with me for just a moment. Martha, the sister of the dead man, so it's clearly established the guy is dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a what? An odor, for he's been... Now think about this. A human being is talking to the giver of all, the creator and sustainer of all life. The one who not only understands biology, understands how all of this works, but actually implemented and created the entire system. And she's pulling aside the creator and saying, Hey, uh, I don't know if you're new to this around here, but this is how things typically work. You might want to just... Can you imagine Jesus' thought whenever a human being says, Hey, do you know? Do you know? Can you imagine how irritated that might have made him? Or, or maybe it was laughable. I'm not sure. Jesus said to her, Did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now earlier, we didn't read... Earlier, he's also saying to, to her, he's saying, hey, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. And she says, oh, I know, you're the, you're, you'll raise him up on the last day. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, no, it's more than that. And so it says, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account that people are standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, what happened? He cried out with a loud voice, and what did he say? Lazarus, come out. The man who died, what happened? He came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What a dynamic story, right? The last few weeks, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this thing called D-N-A. I actually learned this week I've been pronouncing it all wrong. I have been so proud of myself because I've been saying deoxyribonucleic acid, but I've been saying it wrong. I've learned this week. It's something like deoxyribonucleic Forget it. It's something better than what I was saying. But DNA... The building blocks of life. People have DNA. It determines all, all these things about you. Churches have DNA. We said it last couple weeks. We'll say it today. How many of us have been in churches that we knew or we came to know even maybe after or later that they were unhealthy? Okay? You've been maybe in churches with gatherings of people and they're focusing on the things that don't ultimately matter. Right? DNA 
does matter. I actually think it's very, I think it's awesome that we as a church, as Hope Church, have these eight points of DNA that we can go back to, not because it's like, well, you made these things up. They're straight out of the Bible. And we're going to see that today as well. So let's review. DNA 1, DNA 2 from the last couple of weeks. Can you pull that up? DNA 1, DNA 2. First point, let's, if, you, if this agrees with your spirit, I try not to uh, run roughshod on you. I don't want to be um, like, hey, everybody say this. If you don't agree with it, then don't say it. But if you agree with it, then please say it. Let's say the first point together if you agree with it. Jesus is always to be the center focus of the church. I don't know how that can be wrong. If the pastor's identity is elevated and everybody's always talking about the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, and we're not talking about Jesus, 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 there's a problem. Let me say that again. If we're talking about the pastor more than we're talking about Jesus, then we have a problem. Amen? Secondly, if you agree with this, then say it with me. Ready? We submit to the authority of the Bible over the traditions of men. Amen. I tell you what, we just ain't never done it that way in church before. That doesn't matter. I mean that seriously. Sometimes traditions help. Sometimes they hurt. It is okay to change church traditions. It is not okay to change the Bible. Secondly, um, the next page, DNA 3, is this. If you agree with this, say this with me. The primary focus of the church is to do what? To make disciples. Sometimes we can get our ideas and say, well, I've got to start this thing. I've got to start this thing. We've got to have this thing. Got to have this thing. Got to have this thing. Got to have this program. Got to do this. And by all means, if you can sustainably, but we got to remember, the church is not about doing all the things or about keeping all the programs alive. The church is about doing one thing, making disciples of Jesus Christ. If we get off of that and we're trying to juggle all these things, then we're missing the boat. Amen? How many of us have seen that before? Lastly, we are not called... If you want to say this with me, ready? We are not called to go to church, but rather be the church. You can either have it one of two ways. You can't have it both. Either this building is the house of God or you are the house of God. Which is it? You say, well, no, I like calling this the house of God. Show me that in the Bible. No, but the Old Testament, there's the temple and there's the tabernacle. Yeah, but when Jesus died, the veil was rent in two and the Spirit of God poured out upon all who would call upon the name of the Lord and He filled those and He saved those and you and I became the church. said, no, man, I tell you what, this is the house of the Lord. This place, this I touch this and this is holy. How many of you were here last week and we, we talked about the Ferrari 250 GTO? Okay? People say, oh man, in the car community, that's the holy grail. That thing went for $51 million. That thing went for $70 million. That's holy. You don't touch it. And in that community, maybe it is. To a lot of people, their church buildings are holy. Oh, you don't change this. You don't touch this. But what man consecrates as holy doesn't mean God consecrates as holy. People are holy. Things are not. 
I'm not saying there's not things that can be special. How many of us have special, sentimental things in our home? They're usually attached to what? Memory or a person, right? Or a memory of a person, right? But we need to remember, we're not called to go to church. It's not like when you walk through the threshold from the front door in the auditorium, it's like God is here, but He's not out there. What? Now that I've made you mad. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I think everybody understands that, right? We've got to understand that. Now we're going to go over two, two more new points of DNA. If I forget to reiterate them, let's go ahead and put them up right now. Two more brand new points of DNA. We'll, these are going to be out of order. Next, next week we'll cover um, the, the last two. Hope Church DNA number five. It says this, We are to roll away the stones that keep people from experiencing the power of Jesus. Does that agree with anybody? You feel like it's wrong? Okay, if you agree with me, if you agree with this, then I would ask that you say it together with me. Ready? We are to roll away the stones that keep people from experiencing the power of Jesus. We're going to use this story as a catalyst here in just a second. Then the last point we'll talk about today is Hope DNA number 7. I told you they're out of order. It's going to bother some OCD people in here, but you're going to have to get over it, pray about it. Maybe by 7 o'clock tonight you'll be over it. Here we go. Hope Church DNA number 7. Ready? If you agree with it, then say it with me. If you don't, that's fine. Ready? Here we go. We are different in our preferences, but one in our objective. How many opinions do you think are represented in this very room? Have you heard the jokes about opinions being like, uh, what is it? Armpits or... Yeah, something. Like, we'll just leave it there, right? So, I want to ask you this question. How many, does, does anybody remember the, the ditches that we've talked about? Anybody remember the ditches? We've talked about them in a couple sermons now. You remember, anybody remember the two ditches we talked about that, that churches tend to go towards? Right? Churches should be on the way of Jesus, right? But there are two ditches that churches tend to veer towards. One, we'll go ahead and give you, um, yeah, I got them both right there. Ready? One is religious. What's the word? Legalism. The other one is what? Religious progressivism or religious liberalism. Something like that. So these are two sides we're going to experience. We're going to hear just a second. Two sides of the same coin, actually, I feel like. One seems more righteous than the other, but actually may, may be more blasphemous than the other. Let's talk about what, li what legalism is. I told you we're going to do some setup here. Religious legalism says this. Saying, God said when God didn't say, or the book itself isn't clear. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have heard this before, but something along these lines. Well, I tell you what, brothers, God said that you ought not to wear blank. Hey, I tell you what, sister, God said you ought not to drink blank. Well, I tell you, you see, are you following the track? Maybe you weren't privileged to grow up in the same type of circles that I was, but I bet you some heard exactly that sort of thing. And when you stand up and say, God said, and you twist that book to make it say what you wanted to say because you're ticked off about something and people aren't doing it the way you want them to do it, 
then I would submit to you that that is probably more in line with taking the Lord's name in vain than somebody saying, oh my God, at any time. Because you are effectively taking God's name and you are weaponizing it and basically saying, hey look, I, I don't like this, I don't like the people do this, and I'm going to tell you, the Bible says when the Bible never said. Now friend, that's not good. If the Bible's clear, then it's rock solid. If it's gray, then it stays gray. And there's freedom and liberty in it. The other side is this. We'll go, we got religious legalism, then we have religious progressivism. It's go something like this. Well, the Bible does say whatever. But, you know, we've progressed past that now. Um, truth comes from within. And I, you know, so we've, we're just, we've progressed, right? And the Bible's great. It's a great book. Jesus is a great man. Savior, all that stuff. But we've progressed past that. So you mean to tell me that the Bible's clear and it's like, basically what you're saying is, I don't really care. Is that evil too? That's a ditch too. Can I tell you what both of these have in common? Both of them. These words right here. It's my truth. Let me ask you this. What if me and you were to have a conversation and conversation went something like this? Um, so, and we're just laying out a mathematical, empirical fact and said something like this. Um, yeah, so one plus one, like mathematically, not one part water plus one part water, just mathematically. One plus one equals, what would you say the truth is? Two. Well, what if I came up to you and I said, uh-uh. No. My truth, you may say that your truth is one plus one equals two, but my truth says that one plus one equals seven. And you say, that's not right. And I say, well, look, pal, you live your truth. I'll live my truth. We'll all just coexist and we'll all be right. Except you're wrong. You're wrong. I understand this may be offensive to some. But there is no my truth and your truth. Here's, here's why I say that. You would argue, well, one plus one equals two. Got it. Good. One plus one equals seven. Well, how do you know? Well, we, we know mathematically that that's how it works out. Well, that's truth, right? Okay, well, Jesus is called the way, the blank, and the life. The way, the blank, and the life. What is the middle? The truth. Whoa, down the wormhole. Wait a second. You mean, you're trying to say that all truth originated and flows from and was created by God? All truth, like scientific truth and religious truth, like anything that is true religiously, all truth 
is the spout from God? Yes. So when we say, well, I tell you what, the, my truth is that, look, I know morally the Bible's clear on things about sexuality, ethics, or whatever. I know that, but look, we've progressed past that. And basically, if I'm just being honest with you, I don't like that, so I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I've built an identity around it now. So it's good. All right, let me ask you this question. What if you're driving down the road? Picture this. And you're hitting about fourth gear. You're driving down one of these long country roads. You know the good driving roads? Right? They're all rural. They're not stoplight to stoplight. Right? Those things make you say things you're not proud of. The long curvy roads, right? You're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, you see what looks like a human being, and they are very animated. They're waving their hands. They're screaming. They look like, at first, you're like, hey, that's a sketchy. No. And they look like they're trying to get your attention. And you're driving, and you're, you, you downshift. You're slowing down. And you roll the window down, and they're just, and they say this to you. Hey, look, I'm trying to get people's attention. Down the road down here, it just happened. The road just completely washed out. There's no signs. There's no emergency personnel. If you don't, if you don't stop, you're going to go over the bridge and you're going to die. Please stop. And you look at that person and you're like, huh, you, I tell you what, you're a twerp. You, I know why you are here saying, stop, 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 because you don't want me to have any fun, you joy stealer. How dare you tell me what to do? There, the bridge is out. The bridge is probably not even out. Fine. And you get back in your car and you just go. That person is trying to warn you that if you keep going down this road, your life will lead to destruction. That person is trying to say, if you keep going and you do not stop, you will not only live a hellish life, you will end up in a place called hell. Please don't keep going. Please, please stop. And we've gotten so angry at people who speak the truth that we don't even stop to consider maybe they're right. The progressive... And the legalists both do the same thing. They both say, my truth. The progressive is it bold enough at least to say it's my truth. The religious legalist says, no, it's my truth, but really God said when God didn't say. Does that make sense? Can we go to our Scripture now? That was introduction. Are you ready? Just getting warmed up. No. So what in the world is happening in this Scripture? Somebody tell me, who are the people we're talking about in this Scripture? Somebody tell me again. Mary, Martha. Who's the dead guy? Lazarus. Who's the, who's the Jesus? I mean, who's the... Uh, yeah. Him. Did you notice there were also... There's another crowd that's unnamed. They're not named. There's the Jews that are there. But there's also a crowd... That Jesus, whenever He calls out and He says, hey, move the stone, roll away the stone. 
Somebody's got to do that, right? So they're there. The same crowd is there whenever Lazarus comes out. And he says to them what? Do you remember what it said? Do you see what it said? Unbind him and let him go. The exegesis of the text is something like this. We want to be very careful not to eisegete the text, which means to insert our own opinion in the text. Sometimes we do that when we read the Word of God. We'll read it and we'll put our own ideas and we'll walk away. And a good example of something like that is reading, how many of us know the story of David and Goliath? Story of David and Goliath? A good example of eisegeting the text or putting too much of your own thought and idea into the text and making it about you is something like this. Oh, I've just read the story of David and Goliath. And in 10 seconds, I'm like, well, I tell you what, it's the giant of my finances and it's the giant of my evil co-workers and it's the giant of my mean old wife and it's the giant of this and it's the giant of that and it's the giant of this. And it's like, stop. The Bible is not about you. I mean that seriously. The Bible is a story about Him. So let's not over-metaphor it too quick. Let's look at the text for what it means. So what does it mean? It means there's a man over here who's the life-giving force. There is a dead guy over here who needs to be what? What needs to happen to the dead guy? He needs to come alive. There are people around who are in unbelief. and I, I think that's why Jesus is weeping personally. I don't think it's just grief. I think whenever Jesus is getting ready to, to raise him up from the dead, he's dropping hints. Mary and Martha, don't you know if you'll believe you see the glory of God? Man, this is going to be so amazing. And they're like, yeah, well, we know that in the end, you know, the, the, the resurrection and everything. And then, yeah, we believe in you, Jesus. And Jesus, I think in his spirit is like, no, you're going to see an amazing thing. And I think Jesus was charged up and he was getting ready to do this thing. There's a dead guy that needs to be raised up from the dead. There are people in unbelief. Jesus even mentions in His prayer, God, I know you hear me all the time. He hears Jesus. Jesus is part of the Trinity. He's going to hear Jesus. But He says, I'm thankful that you hear me. I know that you hear me from the first till now. But I thank you that you're hearing me for the calls of these people around me. Jesus says to the people, roll away the stone. He calls out to Lazarus. The, I guess the simple exegesis of the text is something like this. Jesus is the only one that can give life. Jesus is it. He is the way. He is the truth. We just talked about that, but He is also the what? He is also the life. There is nothing in this life that can give you and me life like the life can. There is no relationship that can do it. There is no drug that can do it. There is no drink that can do it. There is no Facebook Marketplace find that can do it. There is no job that can do it. There is no clothes that can do it. There is no hairstyle that can do it. There is no shopping experience that can do it. How many of us have been down the road? And we've been down multiple roads. And we've sought to put those things in our heart. But yet it seems like there is a black hole sized vacuum that just keeps taking in stuff. But it's never ever satisfied. Why? And then we run. We, it's like we're chasing our tail all the time. And it's never going to happen. Never. Without following Jesus. It's the only thing that can give you identity. Repent or you'll perish. Turn or you'll perish. Jesus' message is clear. Calls out. He says to the people, roll away the stone. 
The man comes alive. Jesus gives life. People see this and they give glory to God. Um, I'm curious. I don't. I haven't really looked around and asked or, or uh, assessed. Is there anybody in here who, in the last year, you you either got saved here, you got baptized here, or you re- rededicated your life here? Is there anybody in here, in this room? I think there's just a few. There's a few. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's several. Okay. Five, six, seven. Okay. Eight. Let me ask y'all a question. Y'all stick your hands back up. The ones that just stuck your hands back up. All right. Let me ask y'all a question. These sacrifices and these changes we've made in the, in the church over the last couple of years, are these souls worth it or no? Are they? Are they worth a little bit of discomfort? Would you say yes or no? Yes. What is going to last forever? You are. In Christ. What's not going to last forever? Anything else. Right? Okay. The application of the story is something like this. Jesus gives life. You know who me and you are basically in the story? We are the crowd over here. We are the crowd. We're kind of observing. We're a part of it. But Jesus says, roll away the stone. That's who we are. Applicationally. We're over here on the side. We're willing participants and we get ready to roll away the stone. We saw our DNA a minute ago, right? We are to roll away the stones. Um, is that DNA subpoint still up there? I can't remember if I left that in there or not. We believe in removing unnecessary, legalistic, and religious stones that stand between the people and life-giving, changing power of Jesus. All right. so this is an applicational thought. You've got Jesus, right? Jesus is the giver of all life. You've got people who are dead. And did you know there are people who are dead that are walking around right now? There might be dead people in this very room. You say, well, you're animated, you're alive, but it's almost like a zombie mode. Because you haven't been made alive in Christ yet. You haven't submitted to Christ yet. You haven't repented and turned to Him and away. Therefore, you're okay living in a habit of sin. Therefore, you're okay and you're comfortable making an identity for yourself, lying all the time doing all sorts of things that are against the Word of God, and you're totally fine. That's a problem. Right? But hang on. What if there are things, what if there is a stone that's in between Jesus and the dead person? The dead person needs to come alive in Christ, but yet there are unnecessary legalistic stones that exist because for the structure of the church or whatever you want to call it, they exist But what if we could come along and they're not biblical and we could roll them away and clear the way so that Jesus can get to the person that's dead? That's what churches need to do. And that's what this church needs to do. And that is our pattern. And that is what we will do. Can I show you a list of some common... Now, if you got irritated with me a few minutes ago, get ready to get really irritated with me now. Okay? I'm going to show you some uh, legalistic stones. Um, I don't know about y'all, I'm feeling warm right now, so I'm going to turn it down just a tad. Okay, so these stones. Here are some unnecessary legalistic stones. You ready? One of the things people fight about and fuss about, and it's so stupid, it's church service frequency. Well, I tell you what, you got to have church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and if you don't go on visitation on Thursday night. Anybody ever heard something like that? Why? Why? Well, I tell you what, 
Sunday's the Lord's day. Every day is the Lord's day. Did you know we have a structure here? We start at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. Did you know it wouldn't be a sin if we said, you know what? We're not going to have it at 10.30 on Sunday morning. We're going to move it, the audacity, to 10 a.m. Did you know that you could actually have church on Saturday? And it's okay. Yeah. But what's crazy is people, people focus on that. People focus on church dress standards. Grow up hearing that kind of stuff. Man, you got to wear this and you got to wear that. Some of y'all, you're, you're itching for me to get up to that next one, ain't you? You ready? Here's the thing. People fuss and fight about this. There is one passage in the book of Leviticus that you've probably been pointed to. It's in Old Covenant and Old Testament law. It was to the Jews under the Old Covenant. It was never to non-Jews after the Covenant. It was never to non-Jews even before the Covenant. And there's, there's evidence that points to the fact that that, that uh, tattooing on your body, that was, a, that was a paganistic ritual of cutting in flesh for the dead. That was a paganistic type ritual. So, people fuss and fight about that. Um, I kid you not, I heard the last one. I don't know if anybody heard this kind of stuff when you were growing up. But I literally heard this. I tell you what, brother, if men have hair on their face, it's a sign of rebellion! I'm not even joking. And when I got a little bit older, I grew a little bit of hair on my face to help me cover up the ugly. <laughs> I shaved the little beardlet that I have one time, and I came inside, and I was like, I was feeling insecure about it. And I, I came inside and showed my wife, and she confirmed my worst fears that I looked like a naked mole rat. So, um, People fight over this, church building, decor, and style. Well, I tell you what, a church needs to look like this. And man, I like the brick, and I like the white stuff, and I like this, and I like that. we got to remember, this ain't the church building. It never was. Never, ever, 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 ever was. Ever. You see Ecclesia in the Bible. You know what ecclesia always refers to? The gathering. The assembling. People fight over the, well, the church needs to look like this. It don't matter. What matters is people meet. Period. End of story. People fight over worship music styles and people get all, well, you gotta have a choir and you gotta have this and you gotta have that and you, you can't have a band. It's like, there's no, we can have any one of those. You do both if you want to. But people fight about that. People fight over the English Bible versions. Um, I grew up KJV only. Maybe you're like that. Too. And it's fine if you are. But people fuss and fight over that. The last one is people fuss and fight. If you wanted to look up that scripture at some point, um, diet and or alcohol consumption. Um, I'm going to read you something here in a minute from C.S. Lewis. Anybody know who C.S. Lewis is? Yeah. Got a great little quote from him from Mere Christianity. I'm going to read you here in a minute. Um, people fight over uh, church liturgy. You know, you've got to do this thing at this time and three songs and this, that. And 
And then you've got permissible holidays. People say you can't celebrate this and you can celebrate this. And a lot of those are speculative and then we read too much into it. I'm telling y'all, this is legalism. Or people go off about triangles and squares and all these different shapes. And it's like, who owns all of that? Who owns every day? Who owns all the shapes? Who owns all the numbers? God does, right? I'm going to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, Check this out. An individual Christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons. Marriage, meat, beer, cinema. But the moment... Now, I think this was in the 40s um, he said this. But the moment he starts saying the things are bad in themselves or looking down his nose on the other people, he has taken the wrong turning. And I say to you, amen from this point. Amen. Um, What do we need to do? These stones that are not clear, we roll them away. If you are looking for a church that, okay, well, we, we, are, we are who we are and we're not, we're not going to... Uh, we're going we're gonna to stick with every single process and, and we're going to go with the way that this denomination does it or that denomination does it or, or man, you've got to do this process the right way or you've got to do communion this exact way. I'm telling you, there's so much liberty Where the Bible is clear, it's clear. The Bible's clear on many things. We let that be bedrock. But where the Bible is gray, we let it be gray. And what if we could take some of those stones and not be so hard-nosed and just say, you know what? You may think this, and I may think this. But because it's not clear, I'm willing to give a little bit on this so that people can come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, So I mentioned to you, this is my last little point, DNA. We are, oh, how'd it go? Many many on our preference, how'd it go? Yeah, that one. We are different, (laughs) different in our what? Preferences, but one in what? Look, we just passed a deer season. Right? Did you know that there are people in this church, some are still hunters and some are dog hunters? Did you know that? Did you know the two crowds sometimes don't like each other? They don't get along. Don't be voicing y'all's opinions today. Bring it down. Now hear me out. They don't get along. But guess what they can do on Sundays? See where I'm going? They can come together. They can sit side by side. And you know what they can do? This right here. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. That's beautiful, right? (laughs) They can worship the Lord together because guess what? It doesn't really matter. Did you know there are probably people in this room who have the audacity to actually prefer Ford products over (laughs) Chevrolet? (laughs) 
there are people that have the audacity. And do you know what those two people can do? They can walk up to each other and shake each other's hand, look at each other in the eye and say, you're my brother in Christ. Do you know there are people in here who prefer and say the only kind of music is classic country. They ain't nothing but Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard. and all. There's those people. And then there are those, you're the headbangers. You like hard rock. And you just want to do that all the time. Do you know what you can do? You can walk up and you can give each other a hug and say, my brother, sister in Christ, we're going to heaven together. Amen? Amen. Did you know there are people probably in this room that are aggressive patriots, always vigilant, and then there are people who don't like guns who are pure pacifists. Hey, guess what? This is something the church, we got to be careful with. We can preach so hard about these things that we put them in the Bible, when at the same time, the body of God is made up of all different shapes and sizes. Amen? And it's okay. Okay? We are many in our preferences. We are one in our objective. What is the objective? What's the objective we should have? Win people to Christ, make disciples. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening. It, it means the world to me that you would take the time to listen to our sermons. If, you, if you'd like to connect with us, shoot us an email at office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. That's office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. Or just come by for a service in person, 1030 a.m. Sunday mornings. Address is 1562 Mill Creek Road, Roxboro, North Carolina. Uh, I would love to meet you in person, and um, I guess that's all for now. So don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcast if you would, kindly. We pray that you'd have a great day. Uh, for Hope Church Mill Creek, I'm Pastor Josh. Grace and peace.